Hey everybody, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List. Join us on a deep dive into the heart of what makes writing songs and making music so magical. Let's find out what makes songwriters tick, and along the way, remember why we love music. Welcome to Pitch List. Hey everyone, Chris Lindsay here, and you're listening to Pitch List, the songwriter's podcast. Before we get started, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. And for more exclusive content and performances, don't forget to follow us on social media at Pitch List Podcast, or visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com. And now, here's the show. Hey everyone, I'm Dana, the producer of Pitchlist, and I'm super excited to intro this week's guest, two-time Grammy Award winner Ian Fitchick. Ian's what you'd call a triple threat, a boundary-pushing writer, producer, and multi-instrumentalist. You might recognize him as one of the minds behind Casey Musgrave's critically acclaimed album, Golden Hour, alongside our season four alum, Daniel Tashin. But Ian's career stretches far beyond this. He moves flawlessly through a genre-bending range of artists, from mainstream country and Americana acts like Brett Eldridge and Marin Morris, to left-of-center pop and indie sensations like Lainey, Muna, and Phoebe Bridgers. It's that ability to bring his unique creative stamp to everything he works on that makes him a truly valuable asset and such an interesting person. So without any further ado, enjoy our conversation with Ian Fitchick. Good afternoon. We've got another great episode of Pitch List today. One I've been looking forward to for a while. I have, uh, this is a dude that I have, I think we've met, um, but I've been a big fan of for ever since I've heard about him. This is Ian Fitchick on Pitch List. How are you, Ian? So good. Beautiful, sunny day out here in California. And um, I don't know what the weather's doing in Nashville. You never, you know, it's different every day, but out yeah. here, a perfect day. Yes, we're actually, it's sunny today. And that's, it's been, as you know, Nashville is a little dreary in the winter, but what are you doing out in California? You working on a project? I'm writing songs. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've been, you know, I've come out here sporadically over the years, but not um, but not really consistently until the past few years. Um, and I've kind of, the way that things have kind of turned out, like my whole team is kind of based out of here in terms of like management and publishing and everything. So, um, last year I was out in LA, I don't know, um, at least a couple of weeks, a month kind of splitting time. And, um, and then this, this year so far, I've been, Strangely, I've been in New York making a lot of music and in Portland. And so I hadn't, I haven't really gotten back into my um, kind of normal LA trips. So I'm, this is kind of the first writing trip of this year um, where I'm out here for the week. And I ended up in a really beautiful spot. I don't know if you know of Julian Bonetta, um, but he's a great songwriter and producer who uh, splits time in LA and in Nashville as well and has a beautiful, um, home here in Calabasas that uh has kind of that he's converted into a studio and it's just I'm surrounded by mountains um oh, awesome hawks and there's a little pool <laughs> lots of instruments so it's kind of um a little slice of heaven for me I I'm a big like nature lover and um when I can like when there are guitars keyboards drums around me and like 
the potential to walk outside and just lose myself on a trail or climb a mountain like that's i don't know if that's as good as it gets for me i'm right there with you man i lived in uh topanga which is right across the hills from where you're at yeah about five years before i came to nashville i love to visit out there too people people uh la has an interesting reputation you know with some people in the south but i I love la I, i think it's i love southern california put it that way just for what you said, it's sunny, it's great weather, uh, it's beautiful. You can you got the ocean, you got mountains, you know. It's, you know, when I first started doing trips out here, it, it took me a minute. I mean, I was staying in hotels and kind of going all over town. And, and really, you know, after living in Nashville for, I've lived in Nashville for 22 years, um, which is, I guess, longer than a lot of people. Um, um, and... So when I first started coming out here, it was kind of like starting all over again, um, mm-hmm. you know, which was strange at first. But I've I've really um, I've really grown to love. I don't know if I ever see myself like moving out here, but I I find that when I come out and I can focus and um, really just concentrate on the work, like I've, a lot of great things have come from my time out here. And I don't it, I don't feel like it necessarily requires me to m- move out here uh, in order right. to to accomplish what I'm doing and and actually what i've found is the more time that i spend out here than when i when i am in nashville um i get to really dig in i've got two kids a, a 13 and 15 year old and okay. um you know the, the my time with them is is we're in the fourth quarter or whatever um right. <laughs> when i'm when i'm around you know 50 percent of the time they they're interested in doing their own thing so i have to sure. really maximize um and soak up the time that I have with them while I, oh, yeah. I have. How's uh I love, I love Portland too. How's how was that a fun gig? Wow, there? Portland. I, now that's a place I could see myself ending up one day. Yeah, I am. Yeah. Um, I'm going back in a couple of weeks to do some more work and uh, similar size to Nashville. Like it feels like it's a manageable um kind of population and 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 landscape. And I was in there in late January, and it was like everything's still green and apparently it never really drops below 32 degrees up there. I, so same thing though, hiking music, yeah. uh, great food. Um, I love the Pacific Northwest. Uh, I love, I love traveling. I mean, you know, I think there was a, there was a moment in Nashville a few years ago where I had a studio that I was working at for several years and kind of, I know some people really thrive on, on routine and repetition and kind of like a, a singular space, but I've kind of always um, needed things to be switching up and, and a change of circumstance and scenery and um, adventure and stuff like that. So I am, um, you know, Daniel Tashin, who mm-hmm. we, a lot, we work a lot together. Um, he's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. He, he'll, he'd be happy to just be like in right. his in his space. And I, and I love that. And I like having places like, you know, uh, his studio and other friends of mine to come back to and to, uh, return to, but I, um, yeah, I like, I like changing it up and I like meeting new people. And I like, um, you know, that sense of adventure that music really can be. I agree. Well, let's, let's dive in a little bit. I know people want to, they want, and I do too. So, I was kind of going over your resume and whatever what we could find on you. So you went to Belmont, 
is it jazz piano? Is that the, the program? Yeah. I, um, I had a friend from, I grew up in Chicago and I had a, a friend of mine in high school that had, was a year older than me. And she had turned me on to Belmont. Cause at the time I, I'd considered like Berkeley and, um, right. uh, Miami and a couple of North Texas. Like I, I, I grew up playing music my whole life, but I really um, never got like jazz harmony, like under my hands. Um, and when I came to visit Nashville uh, through my friend, I met a guy named John Arn, who was at the time a, a, a professor there. And I just, um, I felt like he was going to be my, you know, my Yoda. Like um, I just really vibed with him and he was a, really gentle, kind, kind of like great musician. Mm -hmm. So that was like the tipping point for me. I was like, I'm going to go study jazz. But I, a week into moving down to Nashville, I met um, some kids that had been signed to a record deal in high school that had grown up in Nashville, just through random circumstances. I met them, started hanging out. And by the middle of the semester, I decided to drop out and join them on the road um, as like a hired like as a part of the band, but not on the record deal. So I was actually getting paid, which at the time I was like $400 a week. Are you kidding me? Like, wow. Like, all my wildest dreams are coming true, you know? Yeah. yeah. And a month or a, a year or so into touring, I realized like touring's not a lot of music and it's not even really a lot of like sightseeing. It's just a lot of travel. <laughs> <laughs> And um, a lot of truck stops. Yeah. And at the time, I mean, this was in 2000, 2001, like people weren't making albums on their laptops at that point. I, there was not like a, I was not productive and effective with my time, to say the least. Yeah, yeah I get that. So and and also I want to know about um, your parents are musicians, right? Is that is that classical yeah. or all kind of stuff or? Tell, tell us about that. My mom's side of the family, uh, kind of, you can go back a few generations. There, there have been a lot of musicians. Um, um, and I'm not so, I'm not as sure about my dad's side. Um, but they, uh, yeah, they both are classical musicians. They still both play. Um, in fact, the other day, um, they go and play at like retirement homes now, like kind of just play for people that are, mm -hmm don't have a lot going on and they'll go and sing, you know, old, old songs, patriotic songs. And, um, they play in their church still. And, um, yeah, they both were also music educators. So they, my dad was an orchestra director for 35 years in the, in the public school system in Chicago, but also freelance. Um, and my mom, he's primarily a violist and my mom is primarily a flutist. Um, uh, but she also did like elementary music education and private flute lessons. And um, so whether, you know, it was in the house or at church or, you know, in all areas of my life growing up, there was, there was music. And, um, you know, even though, you know, when I got into my like teenage years and I, I was listening to and interested in music that they didn't necessarily um, <laughs> relate to, they were always really cool about um providing opportunities and resources for me to investigate that kind of stuff and, and driving me to band practices and you know i mean i had i had to save up and like earn money for some of my you know my first guitars and stuff like that but they did get me a drum set early on and um and put up with me playing in the house and um yeah they they um 
and even to this day, like it's hard for me to explain what my life is like, how, how music provides for me, um, because they had such a different experience. Um, but it, it is cool. It's, it's really, I, I keep meaning to have them come and record and like get them involved on some things that I'm doing. And I, I really hope to make that happen. Yeah. Eventually. They have, to, they have to be really proud of you, man. I mean, they have to be very proud of you because it, it really is. Um, yeah. What you're doing is, 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 uh, is very difficult to do, especially going through all your stuff, man, your ability to sort of, you know, there's a lot of people that, that are multi-genre, right? But if they get into country, they're sort of skirting against it. You know what I mean? They'll be bumping up against some alt country. But I mean, you're like a dude who's like, like firmly involved in, now some of your country stuff's on the cooler side for sure, but you're involved with regular country music and bands out of Portland. And it's pretty unique. Yeah. It, um, I have a lot of love and respect for, and a lot of, um, connection to Nashville over the years. Like, you know, when I first was in town, I, um, I really wasn't touching country music at all. And I, to be honest, I didn't really grow up with country music. Um, you know, in, in, in the nineties in Chicago, like my, my knowledge of country music when I moved to town, and I, you know, I'm kind of like ashamed to say was like, you know, the Dixie Chicks and like Shania Twain. I mean, that was like, that was my knowledge. And I didn't really, and you know, even like older, like older country music, you know, maybe Johnny Cash, you know? So right. over years, like being in Nashville and kind of like being introduced to great songwriters and the, and the legacy and, and the heritage of country music, um, I've grown quite fond of it and i've had friends that have really um continue to um really dominate in that genre but to be honest i i've always kind of really felt kind of on the outside of that um you know even in a lot of my session work that i did um i haven't been doing as much of that lately i i kind of honestly i miss it um but even even in my session work i always felt like i was never invited because i was doing what was you know popular i was always asked to be there because i was doing something differently you know and and um either way it's cool to get a call and it's it's nice to have opportunities um and i guess where i'm going with all this is like i don't i don't know what my relationship is um with country music now because really the majority of things that i'm working on um are more in the alternative and pop space um and even not so much in americana music anymore which for a while i was i felt like i was really involved with a lot of music going on there um uh, i guess all i'm saying is like <laughs> the minute i start to feel like i'm maybe a part of a um a genre or a community like something changes and i'm introduced to a whole other subset of people or or different kinds of music and and it's cool because then i'm i'm forced to learn and i'm first i'm i'm forced to adapt and um become inspired in different ways uh, i don't know you know some people i think are just meant to do one thing and do it really well over and over and over and i think early on i felt the pressure to kind of narrow you know a lot of people early on in nashville were like you need to pick what you're going to do and you're going to you got to figure out how to do it better than everybody else and that just 
I didn't work for me. I, it, that turns it into like a, a competition. And um, like I was saying about just traveling and everything, I just like diversity and I like um, not doing the same thing over and over and all over again. And, and I think now I'm, I'm grateful that I, that I did plant a lot of different seeds in different uh, creative areas because yeah, I look at my calendar now and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm like with somebody like Kelsey Ballerini one day and, and then um, working with this like psychedelic Latin artist named Cuco that I'm working with right now. It's like, it, uh, you know, it's it's nice to uh, kind of be changing the paces. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I mean, I'd say that's the you got the, you got the ultimate thing going there because it's always new and um it's great, man. I, I want to talk about something else because actually, as you were talking, it reminded me of something. When I first heard about you was Tom Bukovac started talking about you. I, uh, cause I, we, we work together a lot and uh, it's like, Hey man, you need to hire this guy in. Like, and I, I thought Tom introduced you to me first as a drummer, but then all of a sudden I'm hearing like piano. And then I finally realized you're like a multi-instrumentalist, but like a badass. like, I mean, most people, most even writers play guitar and piano. It's kind of just most now do, but I mean, to have a guy that's at a, a master level, right? I kind of look at it like piano and drums. I feel like a, the same relationship to, in, in that, like I can convey emotionally what I'm feeling pretty like intuitively on both. Right. Uh, and adapt to whatever musical, whether it's writing or recording or producing or whatever. I feel like I, I know my limits on both of those instruments, um, but I, I, I have a certain element of confidence on them both. And, you know, guitar and bass is kind of like that came, you know, later, like in junior high is when I kind of taught myself some um, guitar, enough guitar to write songs and then eventually to kind of like play bass but i you know i guess when i moved to nashville i was thinking i was going to really lean into piano um but that didn't really happen and then when i started um producing kind of like accidentally i mean i literally met a guy um randomly this this artist named griffin house and like a day later we were recording songs in the laundry room of the house that i was living in and like putting recordings together and just out of necessity, I'm like, well, I, I can play enough of these things to I certainly didn't have any money to hire anybody or do anything. And, and this was also before like splice and Ableton and all that stuff. So I really just out of necessity started to <laughs> enlist myself as the all, as the whole band recording things, just because I was like, if, if I do this enough and if I do enough takes, like we'll, we'll get, where we're trying to go and over time you know you just get more and more uh comfortable doing that yeah totally get it i play piano and guitar but i'm always in awe of the drums that that's one thing i just i didn't put a lot of time into it but it's it's so physical man of like trying to get things to land on the you know to actually groove it's such a physical thing it's like it's really hard to play drums man i don't think people know how hard it is yeah i i don't i think i just for me. And, yeah. I, and, and I don't know what it would have been like, you know, to play piano my whole life and then try to pick up the drums later. I think part of it is, you know, uh, there's pictures and, and th you know, 
memories that my parents have of me, you know, putting together the pots and pans situation mm-hmm. and like finding rhythm really intuitively. Like I think when you're that young and, and, and you connect with something, whether it's drums or, or uh, painting or I don't know, like anything that you creatively uh, interact with at a young age and then continue to do, it's like, you know, you're going to, going to become second nature at some point. Um, and, um, so yeah, again, it's like, thankfully my parents were really, um, you know, encouraging. And also, you know, I didn't really want to take piano lessons throughout my junior, junior high and high school, but they kind of enforced it in a way. And, um, and I'm grateful that they did, even though I didn't really practice very hard in, in high school. Um, I think the discipline of just having to, to be at a piano every day, regardless of whether I was creating or not, um, helped me, you know, there are days where I don't feel like making music, um, or I don't feel inspired or whatever, but, um, just the kind of rhythm of, um, sitting down and putting the time in and doing, doing the work is, is important as well. Absolutely. Um, I have just a random question because I was looking at your at my notes. What did you play on the Sam Hunt record? That's that's actually a cool story. Like, um, I don't know if you know Rob Dennis, uh, rock and yeah. roll. Yeah, I know Rob. Rob Rob has been a huge um, gift to me. Uh, early on, and I think this is probably 2002. Um, I met him, and we were renting a guy that I was producing a lot with at the time. Um, we used to rent gear from him all, you know, we didn't have much. Um, and we developed a relationship with him. And at the time, one of his, um, employees was, was Zach Crowell. And Zach was literally the guy that would just deliver needs and stuff to the, to wherever we were working. Um, and we got to know them both. And Rob, eventually like basically let us use the studio that he has. I think he still has it in his basement in Brentwood at his house. Um, I made one of the first like legitimate full length records um, with that artist Griffin house um, in his basement, just out of his generosity. And that actually was the first project that kind of opened doors and allowed my production work to start to, um, or to continue. And, and, you know, over time we, I didn't see him or Zach as much, but Zach, of course, you know, a few years later, I realized he's making music on his own. And, um, and he called me early before, really before Sam blew up. And it was kind of the, the project that put Zach on the map for his production and songwriting career. And that was just, he just knew me from, the years that I'd been renting gear from him and Rob. And, um, and of course that album was, you know, enormous for him. And, um, I don't see him as much, um, now, but I, from time to time I'll come and like play on some things for him. And it's always, it's always great to see him. I love Zach. Was that, were you playing drums on that record? Yeah. Uh, I think, I mean, I, I think he just came over to a, a studio that I, a studio that was, you know, a garage that I was, yeah several years and i don't think we spent more than 
it might've just been one night or two where I think he just pulled up a few different songs. I don't, I don't think I played on the whole album. I think I just played a handful of songs. I don't remember if I played, I think it was primarily drums, but then body like a back road was after that, I think. And that was after that. Yeah. I played some guitar and some bass and keys. I did a, a more, more than maybe just the drums on that, but I, I can't remember for sure. Yeah, I was just curious because that first record I thought was a kind of a groundbreaking record for country music. Oh yeah. I, I wonder if you did you did you kind of think that when you were working on it, did, or did you just were you just in there in the heat of the battle just doing your thing? Just curious. I wish I wish I could say that I knew that it was going to be big, but you don't really. I mean, even with even with like Casey's album, like I didn't. I mean, I knew that I loved it, but you know. Uh, it's so hard to predict um, yeah. what, 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 how things are going to go. Um, I think at the time I was just happy to see that Zach had an opportunity and he'd been grinding and, you know, making music in between his kind of nine to five job. And I, I just remember thinking, wow, this, it, it seems like maybe this has a trajectory and I'm just happy to be able to kind of help however I can. And, um, and it worked out for him. Yeah, I think it's interesting. And, and the songwriting stuff, too, I've seen it many times. I've Things I've been involved in, you don't really know. You know, you're just doing your thing. You're just like, I love what you said. It's like, I knew I liked it. That's all. That's that's how I've always been. It's like, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was cool, but you never know because there's so many, probably because, you know, there's so many cool things that, that don't see the light of day, you know, and it just, you kind of get, you start to develop a pretty calloused attitude you know, about the business because you're like, you just don't know, you know? Yeah. I mean, thankfully I feel like when things do work out and, and when uh, songs or, or recordings that you put a lot of effort into uh, do see the light of day and even better if they, you know, um, succeed on some level, what I've found, you know, or what I'm thankful for is that a lot of those things are, are songs and projects that I resonate with. And I think what kind of helping me to learn and to trust is just my intuition. Like um, instead of trying to think about like whether something's going to be um, big or, or successful, it's like, does it, um, does it make me feel something? Does it make me feel excited or does it make me feel sad? I don't, you know, it could be any range of emotions, but if it's, if it's something that's really resonating with me, um, then that's all that matters. And, and if it, and if it does well, then it's a, an affirmation of the fact that you trusted yourself. And, um, cause like, yeah, you said, like you said, there's so many, so many seasons and times where you feel like you're just, uh, what are you, what's the point? You know, it's like, I have so many songs. I have entire albums that people that are just, who knows what else? it's not really it's out of my control so yeah oh it um, is it is and, so out of your control that, and that can be frustrating and and it's okay to for it to be frustrating but um you know instead of trying to really please everybody else all the time which is a that's a that's a road to nowhere um i agree it, uh you, you really have I, I say you i'm saying to myself i really have to um find ways to please myself because <laughs> that's that's um that's something i can live with and and um 
be accountable to. But I, I think early on it was like, oh, does this artist like me or am I, am I bringing something of value or, you know, there's so many insecurities that you, you can, can fall into. And I still do. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning slowly. Yeah. And I think, you know, completely being yourself and doing what you like following your gut is, don't you think it's your best shot anyway at, at having something cut through? I mean, it's, that's going to be the best thing you could do. And I mean, I and you have great advice that you're giving great I mean, advice. Got to make sure that you're okay with it looking a little differently, you know, I mean, and by that, I guess, I mean, like, you know, maybe what you think success looks like for you, it is different. Like I'll, I'll, I'll just say it kind of plainly. Like I've never been a part of a number one song on country radio or pop radio. I don't, I don't, a lot of my friends have done that and done it times over, you know, that's like, um, that you could say that's a goal that maybe I, I'm not ashamed to say it would be nice to, for that to happen at some point, but I've had to kind of, you know, have moments like right now where I'm realizing, okay, maybe that's not what is in the cards for me currently. It doesn't mean that it's not in the cards eventually, but more importantly, like I'm getting to travel and to be in beautiful places, making music that I am really enjoying making that's fulfilling to me. And that that's success. Like, I don't, you know, you, you have to learn to quantify achievement and success in, in a, in a sliding scale or in a, absolutely. In a, but, but you right? have left out, you've left out one piece of the puzzle there. You have won Grammys for record of the year. That's true. I mean, I mean, yeah. overall, like not just country, but like all genres, that's, I that's mean, a hell of a, uh, I, and just, I just wanted, I'm, I don't want it to go without saying, I mean, I know what you're talking about and I know what people you're talking about and it's great. But believe me, the that award you have is higher up on the food chain than a number one country hit. And I don't mean I'll take every damn number one I can get. I'm I I understand, but it's higher on the food chain. What you've yeah. done. Well, thank you. I, I mean, I think to me, maybe that's just to me, but to me, it is. Well, I'll I'll say this: like you know, when you do have something happen, it it doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna. Like, yes, I am. That changed my life. I mean, I don't, there's no way around it. I, and, and I didn't see it coming. And, um, and it also like created, it made life more complicated in some ways. And when you have, when you do have a, a, an element of success, um, people treat you differently and you wonder whether that's real or not. Um, then there's also expectations put on you to, make other people that successful <laughs> and to, to learn how to like, to be honest, 2019 after, after the Grammys, um, Daniel and I found ourselves in a lot of really difficult scenarios where we were in working on projects that had a, a lot of pressure, a lot of money and maybe artists that didn't have, the same kind of like artistic compass that we were, that Casey's got. And we just, it was a really frustrating year. And, and you're thinking, okay, we just rang the bell. Like we just did the thing and it's going to be cakewalk. And it was actually totally the opposite in 2019. And then a worldwide pandemic. And you're going like, 
Uh, so I guess that's what I mean when it doesn't necessarily always look the way that you think it might. It's it's you gotta just um, stay open to the curves and even like the the things that on paper look like the best. And I'm not trying to diminish uh, the honor that that album of the year is. I mean that's I never would have imagined that that was a possibility. And then when it did happen, it created so many great opportunities and such a, I felt like in a way it was like a victory for Nashville and in a, in a certain, yeah. it shone a light on Nashville in a way that I love. Um, and, and it also like made life more complicated for a minute there in, in a certain way too. And, and now that's changed a little bit. I'm in a, I'm in like a really great headspace. Um, currently but it took a second it took a couple of years after that to to kind of like let the dust settle and 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 like kind of just find my grounding um again so i don't know if that makes sense but it makes complete sense no i know and i think it's fascinating i get it so you win the award and you've got everybody you know you guys have them you've got the magic key right you you and you and daniel working together or you or daniel Pepper, yep. whatever you guys have opened you've got the magic key to the door so i can only imagine and and some of these names that you're probably talking about are people you would dream to be working with but that doesn't mean you have chemistry with them right or that doesn't mean they're at a place where they're doing something like casey's doing right. and it could be uh so did you find yourself in moments where you're just like, oh, my God, how did what are we going to do? Well, one thing I noticed, I don't know if this is tangential, um, but what that what Golden Hour did and I'm going to speak I'm going to speak in broad terms here. But uh, I feel like Nashville was proud and liked, you know, was happy for Casey, um, happy for us. We had a lot of people that were rooting for us, and I, I felt like really surrounded and really um, affirmed. But because it wasn't a radio album for Nashville, I noticed there were, you know, we made an album with Brett Eldridge and we made some music with Little Big Town. And, um, but the phone did not, the phone started ringing everywhere else other than Nashville for me. I get it because, and honestly, man, I've actually even tweeted a few things just being furious at that record, not getting what it deserves in Nashville, you know, or even being removed from categories out of the Grammys so that somebody else can win. In my opinion, that's just my opinion. It's so weird how this town is. And I feel like y'all got a little bit of that too. It's like, the whole world is celebrating this artist who is ours mm -hmm. and we're not going to play her on country radio. Listen, I, I have, I've got, I've got music to make and I, I've got a lot of good things that are, that are happening. So it's really, you know, it's, it's important for me to not get kind of lost in the, in the um, complexity of it all, like awards and, and, genres and categories and all that stuff like is a it's an imperfect um system and it's nice when you win it's nice when you're acknowledged and when you're not you kind of have you got to realize that it has no bearing on your value you know it's just um it's politics and it's not going to stop from from no. making music i mean we're we're 
uh, a few weeks planning on, you know, possibly going to New York and writing for a couple of weeks and just, um, it has no bearing on, um, right. Our trajectory. So, um, but I guess where I was going with that initially, was just that, I, and I forgot what you had a, an actually a pertinent question that I think I deviated from, but you were talking I, about having the opportunities that came from having yeah. the record be so big and, and how outside of Nashville, the opportunity to the point now where, um, when I'm actually physically in Nashville, I mean, I'm, I'm working, I'll, I'll still do, I'll still write. And, and when people call, I'll come and play, or I'm working with country artists here and there, but it's, it's, um, it's a surprisingly small piece of the pie considering how long I've lived in Nashville and how many friends and acquaintances I have that are, are thriving in that world. Um, and it's, and it's something I'm not like, I'm not categorically saying is good or bad or happy or sad. It's more just, it's just interesting. I'm just noticing. I love Nashville and, um, it's, it's my home and it's really been really good to me. And I also, the world is a, is a, is a big place and I love all kinds of music. I mean, I'd be happy to, um, go and make music in, uh, Paraguay or, or um, yeah, yeah I, I'm with you. And you know what? I'll say one other thing because I think it's really true. I think every day Nashville proper country music is moving your way. You know what I mean? Because it becomes every day it becomes more streaming driven, less radio. And, you know, for me as a songwriter, that's not even good. But that's but but for the democraticness of music, I think it is good. And it's moving towards streaming every day, and that's going to move y'all's way. I think you're you're aware this is all ending up anyway, which is trying to make really great, meaningful music for the fans and having that direct connection. Don't go away. Pitch List will be right back after the break. Want to hear your favorite songwriter or artist on an episode of Pitch List? Email us at pitchlistpodcast at gmail.com and let us know who we should interview next. When did you move here? I moved in 2000. So, okay. you know, um, and it was a perfect time uh, in a lot of ways to, to be in Nashville. It's like um, country music was changing, but also um, it was still so affordable to live. Like I bought my first house in, in 09. Up until that point, I mean, I... My my the rent I was paying for years was like two fifty. My portion of the rent was like two fifty a month yeah. in the in the Belmont neighborhood, and yeah. it's me to live off of <laughs> what little money I was making doing music and not getting another job, and to have that kind of um, you know setup time was in, is invaluable to me. It's like. I was able to invest my energy into the music that I was making and not be just pulling my hair out, trying to um, survive. And now that Nashville's grown so much, um, I welcome all the great restaurants and the really yeah. more diversity. And, and, you know, there's a lot of great things that have come with its growth. Um, but I do worry about the, the environment for new creators and um, culture shaping and, and that kind of thing, because 
I've been working in New York a lot recently and I love it. I love, I love being up there. I'm like this, I know that a ton of great music throughout the years has been made. There used to be studios. I mean, music industry was thriving in New York city and it's, that's been done for a while. And a lot of people believe that that's because the cost of living just became so unreasonable that people just had to go elsewhere. I don't know how they do it out here in, in LA. It's still, it's still kind of like, it's very, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy out well, there. You're right. So, I don't know. That's why I'm kind of like, I'm kind of keeping my eye on, you know, places like Portland and, and um, I don't, I don't know where else, but. That's a, that's a great, I wonder about some Southern cities like Charleston or there might be a scene pop up, you know, Athens used to be really hot. That could. I, I have uh, moved. Um, Craig Alvin is a great engineer. He engineered um, golden hour with us. Uh, he, he moved to Muscle Shoals last year and is building a studio and yeah. has been working a ton and still can come back to Nashville and do things if he needs to. But he is like, uh, that's all I can. That's all I hear about from him is just how awesome the shoals are. I think I'm, I think I've, I've done my time in the Southeast. No, no, no yeah. shit. Just like, I don't know. I think I'm ready for some, um, you know, arid climates um, and, you know, a slower pace of life uh, eventually. So I think that is one thing, though, that the pandemic has, among other things, has made me realize is that it just, you can, I mean, I don't, I never really got into the Zoom writing stuff, but I know that it's, I know that it can work. And as much as it is convenient to be in a city where there's a lot of music being made, maybe at some point it's, it's not going to be as required, or there'll be other places where, um, there's a vibrant scene happening that I would love to, you know, tap into. I always want to be making music with people younger than myself. And I never thought I'd be saying that, but I just turned 40 and it's like, I'm working with a lot of people who are 15, 20 years younger than me now. And, um, that keeps me, uh, excited and hungry. And I hope that, that, that continues to happen. Well, I think it's smart too, because as your career progresses, you have a lot of things that they don't have and you can kind of let them take the fashionable side of the equation, like what's in fashion as far as music styles, sounds, but then there's other parts of writing in which you need a 30,000 foot look that you might not be as good at at 21 because you can't really sit down and think straight. I couldn't. And uh, so I think it definitely works out. I want to go back to something though, because um, we're kind of a songwriting podcast and I get a lot of, one of the big questions I get from people listening that aren't in Nashville, like should I new, move to Nashville is a big question. And, uh, but you touched on something that I've never put on the podcast, but I did myself. And I think it's important, this idea of the Spartan lifestyle when you're starting out, like how you keep your time free to work on your music and stuff like that. Well, it changed obviously when I had kids. Um, right. So maybe wait to have some kids. That's one thing. Um, yeah. I, I will say I did have kids young. I mean, I was 23 or 24 and I had no money. Um, and that, and so I am proud of the fact that um, I continued to grind. And at that time um, my partner and I were, you know, both just doing whatever we could do to, to pay the bills and had to borrow money. And I mean, it's, it was, it was dicey there at the beginning, but I think 
preceding that maybe, you know, it's easy when you're in your 20s, your early 20s, and you're li- you're kind of like figuring out how to be on your own. Like you want to um, go out and have a good time. And and I did that a little bit. And I had friends, like I have a couple friends that now have studios and have had great careers that instead like invested in gear when they had it, when they got a check or some money came in, they put it back into their job and didn't just go out and buy clothes and eat out at restaurants and all that stuff. But like investing back into your craft and what you're doing. Um, I think I learned from some friends of mine like that early on to just um, invest in yourself. And, and, and as far as like the time thing, I mean, I, I wish I could say that I was calculated in, in any way, but I just wasn't. I mean, I had just had a group of friends that we liked to drink beer and make music and have, and have really have fun. Like, I think that continues to be a really important ingredient for me is to not take everything so seriously. And which is kind of, you would think the antithesis of maybe where you were leading with that question, but like, no, it's a great note. That's great. Keep going. I, I love it. You're, you're feeling curious and putting yourself in situations where you don't really know what you're doing and don't have the answers. I mean, I can't tell you how many times early on, like even as a session musician and even still like with writing sessions, I get a lot of imposter syndrome kind of like, I don't, but what am I doing here? Like I'm not qualified. I don't have all the ideas. I don't know how to write a song. I don't know how to, how to play this instrument. I mean, those are still, those are still conversations I have with myself that I've luckily, you know, put some work into knowing how to have those conversations with myself. But early on, it was like, you know, I would, um, I would just show up. And even if I felt like I wasn't qualified to be there, I would just kind of push myself into the fire a little bit and just kind of fake it. So you make it, I know they, I know that's like cliche, but no, it's one of the best things. I say it all the time. It's one of the best things anyone ever came up with. Fake it till you make it dress for the job that you want, not the one you have. And just fake it till you make it. You'll learn. You'll learn on the job. Bukovac used to say it too. Never say, just always say yes. Yeah, absolutely. Always say yes. Don't say no. Just say yes. You'll figure it out. And if you can't, if you can't do the gig, you'll sub it out to somebody. Just say, well, now, obviously there is a point in your career where learning to say no is a, is a huge part, but in the beginning, say yes. Yeah, I, um, absolutely. I said yes to everything for a long, um, and by doing that, then you learn how to say no, because it, it, then you you get screwed and or you fall on your face or you realize that, oh, I don't really collaborate well with this type of personality. But then, like, you know, I've worked with some pretty difficult artists and people, and even that can be super rewarding. And, and just because somebody's hard to work with, like, I'll say this, like, the past several months I've been working with... Um, quite a few artists who are a lot younger than me and who have only really made music by themselves on their own terms and haven't really collaborated before um, or much. And when I first started working with some of them, it was like, I'm used to, for the most part, sitting down with another songwriter or another producer and artist and whether it's good or not, kind of like, you know, in three to six hours or whatever, having a song and maybe even a, 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 demo or a track or whatever and that's just what you do and i started working with these guys and these artists that the the concept of having anybody else in the room 
who's contributing or helping or um, creating it is a is a risky endeavor and kind of like uncomfortable at first. And so I would spend a day or two and not necessarily get to where I thought what my idea of a successful day or a productive amount of time, um, I had to kind of adjust my expectations in that way. And, and at first I didn't even really know if I was like being helpful or, or doing my job. And then, you know, I get word and, and realize that no, no, like this, actually, this is great. These people have tried collaborating with a lot of other people and it just hasn't worked. And somehow you guys have figured out how to get this conversation going. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. Now I'm like, we're making progress. It's just by, it's just in different, um, it just looks differently. And that's cool to be learning that after 22 years doing this professionally to be like, Oh, there's a new, there's a new way of doing this. Um, and I'm not going to let it, uh, I'm not going to just try to like, force what I, what's comfortable for me and the way that I like to work into this new set of circumstances. Like I'm going to adapt and be patient and learn. Um, and I think if, if you're willing to learn and you don't feel like you've got all the answers, then, then people, everybody around you is going to, that they're going to contribute to you becoming a better version of yourself, you know? Yeah. And I think, um, this is part of like what you were talking about being in the Nashville system, being in this community and how this community works and everybody gets to down to business pretty quick. You got to get a coffee, share a little bit and everybody wants to get something going. I think it's just a matter of you got to get them to trust you. That's the first thing you, they have to trust you because they are, I don't know if they're fearful that you're judgmental or, but it's a big thing. It is. And it's a it's a huge skill. And most people really have a hard time because if they've only been working with themselves, they're not used to the Nashville way where people have already just fucking raked your nervous system out of you. And you can't really take, you know, like, mm -hmm. if, like I remember when I started as a writer, uh, I had this beautiful song I'd written about my grandfather and I play it for these older writers. And they kind of look at me and they go, yeah, we, we don't we don't want any grandpa songs. And I remember just thinking, oh, my God, this isn't a fucking grandpa song. And then I, later I'm like, yeah, it was. But, <laughs> you know, you know, it is. Uh, I get it. And I, I, I can see how you'd be really good at it because you're, you're really soulful guy. And like you said, spending a couple of days with somebody, you get the rapport. Well, my, I before, like my favorite thing about music is is the people like I. I right. Um, deeply care about people's stories and their feelings and their experiences. And because it, it, in a way, when I'm trying to help somebody um, express or advocate or whatever, um, there's a part, you know, yeah, I am, I'm facilitating it the, the, for them. Um, but to be honest, it's, it, there's so many things that I've learned and, and so many ways that I've been touched and healed by interactions and sharing creative space with people that that that's that goes way beyond just sitting down and pen and paper in a writing room like I don't it's a different experience for me and and that's not for everybody that's not to say I mean listen uh you know the Sherman brothers like for example like they're like heroes of mine the guys that wrote all the amazing Disney early Disney music right know? right okay yeah those are two brothers who 
you know, they went to the office every day and I mean, I'm sure they had fun from time to time, but like, that was their job. There was a, a I'm sure like a, and because, because they were brothers, I'm sure they, Oh, I know they didn't get along a lot of the time. Um, so my whole, like, I don't know, touchy feely, like spiritual thing, hang, let's talk for two days and then maybe make some music. That's not for everyone. I don't, I don't, I don't need to, that's, there's a time and a place for that. And, and sometimes it is just like, let's, just, uh, let's just create something and let's not talk and let's just do our job. And there's, that's fine too. But when I zoom out and I go, man, what are the most memorable, memorable parts about creating music? It's, it's like the, really it's the time and, and experiences that I've shared and the connection that I feel when I'm creating with people. It's like, I'm always learning something on a deeper, more profound level. If I'm, if I'm allowing myself to, to open up and, and to be a safe place for somebody like that. That's fantastic, man. Do you get people pitching you songs for your projects? You know, I would love to do that more. I mean, it, it's from time to time, but for the most part, I'm in there creating with, um, right. Right. Themselves. And, um, I have had people send me songs for Casey and, and, I don't know. We had a cool thing though recently. She um, she saw that I was working with this artist named Kuko, who's a Latin American kind of like alternative psychedelic artist. He's amazingly talented, and he's got actually a huge fan base. But she just texted me out of the blue the other day and was like, "Hey, do you think he'd ever want to do anything together?" And I was like, "I I don't know, but I'll here's something that we were working on." I sent her the song, and she's like, "This is really cool." And two days later she came by the studio and she put a vocal on it, even sang some in Spanish. And now it's like, it's going to be his single that comes out. In, wow. And he's, you know, he's like, a, he's an anticipated, like people are, are eager to hear his music. And she's, it was her idea. You know, I didn't, I wasn't like, Hey, I'd love to get you on this thing that I'm working on or whatever. I'm very careful with those kinds of things. But um, I think that was probably more common back in the day with producers. Like, I think that that was a, a pretty common thing to have people pitch you songs for artists that they thought or knew that you were working with. But um, right, an artist, artists cut outside songs. And, and, you know, like y'all are very self-contained and a lot of artists are now. It's really changing. And you're right. Back back in the day, that's um, and, and most country artists did not write their material. Mm -hmm. There is a there. I am learning. There's just so many different ways of going about it, though. I mean, there. I've been in sessions where I've been the the idea is to not even write a whole song, but like to to create like a, just we, choruses or or hooks or you know that can be pitched to people so that you know it's not so finished. It's like leaving a window open for an artist or some or another producer to. Come in, yeah. You're trying, yeah. To hook, you're trying to hook them with the concept or with a cool track, but leave plenty of stuff for them to do, right? I mean, I've been working on a, I mean, on and off a project that may never see the light of day that I'm not allowed to talk about. One of these kinds of things where I've, you know, written pieces of songs or even just created music, or I mean, it's been all over the map because the artist is, you know, farming out. Uh, all over the world, probably bringing in all these different pieces and kind of creating like 
taking the best or what they like the most about certain elements, putting them on top and connecting them with other ideas that are coming from other places. And um, do they ask you for like, send us something like this, or do they just say, if you get something cool for us, send it to us or how does it work? In the, in this particular situation, um, it's more like do the opposite of what you think this person may want. Wow. Yeah. That's smart. That's smart, man. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's a good rule of thumb in general is like, I think if you're, I mean, there's exceptions to that maybe, especially in country music, maybe, I don't know. But you know, if you, if you've got an artist in mind that you're really thinking you want to get a song to or, 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 or whatever, I think it's probably safer to do something different than whatever they've done last than to try to replicate something they've already done. Um, I don't, I don't, I think that's a losing game. Even the first time that um, Casey and Daniel and I got together, we wrote a, a song called Oh, What a World. And to me, it's like one of my favorite things I've ever been in the room for, or been a part of. Um, but I was like, this is this is different for her. It's got, we've got like some vocoder going on and like, it's very different than what she's done before. Like I, like, I think this is cool and I really love this, but I don't, who knows what she's going to feel or if she's going to want to do more. I don't know. I had to kind of just make peace with the fact that that may be where it started and ended with our creative relationship. And obviously like that actually just opened the door for us to kind of, get into all all kinds of other things but at the time i didn't i didn't know that of course i was just i remember driving up 65 on the way back to east nashville listening to the demo I mean, we actually did make a track that day um which most of that is still in there um just kind of like looking at nashville and being like wow casey somebody i've wanted to work with for a long time you get that opportunity and you don't want to screw it up and you want to you want to slam dunk and and i had that weird feeling of like okay i know that I love this, um, but I surrender to whatever, wherever it leads from here. And I think that it's just a lesson in doing that over and over and over again. You know, that never, I don't know if that ever goes away. I think it's such a great note. We have uh, a lot of our listeners are people that are working on their careers, just getting started and all points of life, but um, it's such a great note. And I try to stress it. So I'm going to do that. Um, what you're saying is this this idea of don't don't try to write what people are doing don't try to write a song like what's on the radio because well just technically by the time you got a song cut it could be a year by the time a record you're the third single even if you're trying to go for blake shelton you're two years down the road a best case scenario so in country music like all genres is always going forward so you really have to be shooting your arrow quite a ways down the road so in addition to what you're saying of just go the opposite way, be different. You got a better shot at getting a publishing deal by handing a publisher something they could get, they could never get cut in a million years, but they think is great. Then you right. could by handing something that sounds like Tim McGraw right now. I think it's a great advice from you, someone who's really successful for people listening that just Go crazy, man. Do what you feel. Just get in there and just do whatever your little muse wants to do, you know? Well, yeah. And like the thing is, is that when when you do something risky or, or authentic, when you think you're putting yourself out there and it's and it's a little different, it's like, well, guess what? The minute that something that something 
uh, resonates and connects, then people don't want you to just replicate yourself, but they do want you. They want your right. touch and your um, your personality in in whatever that is, however that's expressed. Yeah. And and that's and that's like and that's creative freedom is like when people start coming to you, be, not because you duplicated somebody else's vibe or whatever like it's because it's like they're seeking you out because you're you hopefully yeah I mean, that's what you want yeah your sensibility your yeah. your take on life and, and on on music and um, listen even when that is the case and i think that thankfully uh, most of the time is the case in in my for for me i still you know run around in circles in my head just going like oh, i don't you know that it, it that inner critic and that kind of like insecurity is something that I think uh, most people, you know, continue to have uh, or have to like work through. So I don't know if there's anything as, as like getting to a place where you're just like invincible. With you, yeah, with your- no. We want to talk, I want to talk about one thing I always talk about on the podcast. Um, I like to talk about adversity, like, things that you've had to struggle through to, to get where you are today. Have you had things that, that, that moments when you thought, boy, this just isn't going to work or um, oh, did you I, have any of that in your career? I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I, I, I've, I've had that in my career and my personal life. I mean, it, it's <laughs> the past like few years I've, I've really been doing a lot of work like internally and, and kind of like emotionally and spiritually and such. And, um, I started to kind of adopt this phrase, like, um, that obstacles are opportunities. And it's interesting, like around the time that I started really, um, meditating on that idea. And that's obviously, I'm not the first person to think of something like that. That's just a, a thing, but, um, it was like, life was like, Oh yeah, well, what about, <laughs> how about this? How about this? Um, and a lot of things in my personal life got um, really challenging, um, really around the time that we had all that success with golden hour. It was like my, my career, all of my dreams. So such, you know, the, all those things were kind of like coming to fruition. And, and meanwhile, beneath that, like my, I don't want to say my personal life was crumbling because really in a way it was just kind of, uh, Great. So, I mean, I, I, that's, that's something that, you know, is, is, uh, is just a really interesting parallel. And I think you're right. I think there, are, that's very common. Like when people are at, you know, on the outside, it looks like everything is, couldn't be better. It's, it's on the inside. There's, there's some turmoil, you know, I think that's really common. Um, but, uh, somewhere in the mid two thousands, I'd been, you know, scratching away making a lot of like indie projects and sometimes getting paid and <laughs> other times not and or just not being paid very much blah 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 i worked with a this artist named landon pig and he was signed to rca at the time and had made his first full length nothing was really happening with it but he's a super creative guy we got together one day and as a as a as a creative exercise, he had this idea for a web uh, for his website where he wanted to create like a choose your own adventure for a song. So we were going to build like these 60 different pieces of a song to where fans could go to the website and construct 
their version of the song, like the outcome and how, whether it was, you know, it, it was a That's brilliant, cool. it was a brilliant idea, but it's the furthest we got with it was recording one version of the complete song. I mean, we, that's, that was it. It was called falling in love at a coffee shop. Um, and it got picked up for a major ad campaign that led to another ad campaign. It was like my first taste of like film and TV sync licensing kind of stuff like that, which led to the label green lighting us to make an album. And at that point I had never produced an album for, um, a major label. I never had really budgets to work with. It was like, I was like, this is the, this is it. This is what's going to propel my career into the next phase. And, um, to make a long story short, <laughs> what actually happened was we started making this album. Uh, he got, he landed a movie role and had to leave. And by the time he came back around, I think, he kind of lost interest in what we were doing um, and the, and the label just moved on and he remade the entire album with, with another producer named Jakir King, who was a, was a friend and acquaintance of mine at the time, but it was like, I can't even begin to tell you how demoralizing that was. I, I was like, we're, we're making the white album. And next thing you know, like <laughs> it's gone like not even the opportunity to, to finish what we had started, but just like that's history. Um, and that was really tough. And I, I wish I could say I handled it well, but I, I, it was, I didn't. And, um, but what did end up happening was Jakir through that experience, somehow, you know, we started kind of connecting a little bit more and all of a sudden he started hiring me as a musician on other projects that he was working on and his career was really exploding at the time with Kings of Leon and a bunch of stuff. And, um, he kind of elevate, he ended up not only elevating my session career, um, which was, you know, as much of my income for a while as any other, you know, production or songwriting. And I also just learned a lot from seeing him in the producer chair and, you know, but that took a few years to kind of come into focus. And that's like one memory that I always go back on. It's just like, it, it, it seemed like a failure at the time, but actually everything worked out the way it was supposed to. It just took some time. Similarly, I made an album um, for an artist named Mindy Smith years ago called Stupid Love that, again, I thought, it was kind of around that time or maybe a little bit after. And I thought, oh, okay, well, here's my, here's, you know, an artist I really admire, I've always wanted to work with, and I'm giving, you know, I'm entrusted to make this album, put my heart and soul into it. And, and, and for whatever reason, a lot of factors, it just kind of came out and nothing happened. No, I think her tour was canceled. There was no radio, there was nothing. It just kind of disappeared. And that was, that was disappointing for me at the time. But what ended up happening was when I first met um Casey and also when I first met Marin Morris they both were fans of Mindy Smith and I'm pretty sure the only reason either one of them like invited me into their creative worlds was because they loved that album that I'd made with Mindy that I thought no one had ever heard but it was actually somehow made it to them and it was enough for them to be like oh I love that like let's 
I think we could do something cool together. And, and they've both become, you know, obviously like friends and collaborators. That is almost the best version of that I've heard on our podcast series. Basically, two things that you considered just serious failures were actually critical to your success. First of all, Mindy Smith, that record, I know that record. I know some of the songs because I was just fascinated with her back then. I mean, she was she is such a badass. I mean, love yeah. her. You never well, know not, where your stuff's going to go. Not only that, but because of that Mindy album, when when Casey reached out about writing and I knowing that she was maybe in the back of her mind thinking like that, that Mindy was some kind of factor in that. That stupid love album, even though I've been a fan of Daniel Tashin for years, I mean, he's like, he's, I just look up to him so much. Um, we had kind of, we'd become friends, but we hadn't really, that stupid love album he, I had, he came and played a, quite a bit on. And I think he wrote a few of the songs too. So in case he was like, let's, let's get together. My, I just had this instinct that Daniel would be a really important factor there and that was a very correct <laughs> intuition uh i don't know i just had like a feeling that the three of us would have a, a a great connection kind of going back to that album and um and there you have it there you go that's great i think that's a good way to end man i think it's a good way it's like they always say you you fail your way all the way to the top you know what i mean because every everything you learn from Everything leads you to the next step. And, and really, if you're not, if you're not falling on your ass, you're not trying hard enough. You know what I mean? You just, you're not, you know? And uh, so that's a great thing to end on. Ian, man, it's been so great to talk to you. You've had such great stuff for us, man. I really, oh, really appreciate it. I, I could talk to you all day, but I'm I gonna... and I, I hope, um, I hope that, uh, you know, I think it's, like I said, it's cool that, um, you're doing something like this and, and be being a resource for people um, because, you know, we all go out and we do the work, but, and we'll talk about it sometimes when we're working, but uh, I find, I mean, when I'm driving around, when I can find podcasts where there's like other artists, artists, producers, writers, wherever engineers, like being able to like hear people's stories and experiences just makes you feel not crazy. <laughs> that's As a great way to put it. That, and that's what I'm trying to do. I just felt like I was, when I started this four years ago, I was just a fan of podcasts. And I just thought, man, there are so many great characters in this town, in this era, that I want to document them. Um, so Ian Fitchett, this is a pitch list. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pitch List. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcast or your preferred listening platform. And if you want, feel free to leave us a five-star rating and review. For exclusive content from this week's guest and more, you can visit our website at pitchlistpodcast.com or follow our social media pages on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Plus, don't forget to let us know on social media what songwriter, musician, or music business professional you want to hear from next. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Dana's screen froze on the most, like,
frozen smile at, so the whole <laughs> felt like you were you were encouraging me and uh oh my god like the whole time oh yeah like yeah, yeah. it was on there it was it, but it's a really cute picture danny you were like like smiling. Oh, oh good okay good at least cute. i look good so 